past experience, whatever it was, you decided to sit in that chair and trust it would hold you up. So see, you have faith. Amen? But faith is something in the little decisions that we do daily, but it's also in the major decisions. Faith is something that you're going to have to take into account someday when you ask someone to marry you or accept a marriage proposal. Faith is something that you're going to have to take into consideration when you involve the people in your lives or not as friends. Choosing where to go after high school. What to do with your job. It's in the major things as well. And ultimately, you can't know everything on this side of heaven. But that doesn't necessarily hold us back from making decisions based off of what we do have. Faith is something that is very much a part of the world around us. In fact... Michael Gian, who wrote a book called Can a Smart Person Believe in God? He says there are two types of people in the world, those who believe in God and those who believe in something else. Whether that is faith in Jesus or faith in randomness, in natural selection and evolution. You know, it's interesting because when you talk to an atheist and they say, you believe in God and I don't, it's not necessarily that you have faith in God and I don't have faith. You're just having faith in something else. You're putting your trust in something else. Agnostic is even the same thing where they say, well, we don't believe in anything. But that's putting your faith in making a choice to believe that there is nothing. You're putting your faith in nothing in another way. And so whether we realize it or not, we all decide and we all commit to certain things in our own lives and what we believe in. Whether we think we don't believe in anything. And so I want to share with you guys for the next two weeks why I believe in Jesus and why I choose to believe in the Lord. And this is just beyond personal testimony, but why I've chosen to put my life and to trust in Jesus and everything I have. And that's not necessarily because I'm like smarter than everyone else. That's definitely not true. Amen. Amen. But it is important for your pastors, not just pastor, pastors, to explain and share with you guys why they choose to believe in Jesus. How did they come upon that? And I would encourage you guys as well, ask your leaders how they came to know Jesus or why they choose to believe in Jesus. You will be shocked at some of the stories that you hear. Ask your parents. If you've never asked your parents if they believe in Jesus, why they do, talk to them. Hear their story. They're a human being in the same place that you were right now. And they had to make the same decisions as well. But I want to talk about it in just five kind of broad categories. I'm going to talk about two of them this week and then three the next week. This week I want to talk about specifically creation and life. And then the second point would just be death and the resurrection. Um, next week I want to talk about spirituality, spiritual realm, the heavenly realms. I want to talk about the word of God. We will be talking about the word of God throughout this. But I want to talk concentrated on God's word because that gives revelation to who Jesus is. And then ultimately, I want to talk about personal testimony as the last point. But does that sound good to everyone? Can I get an amen? I think that, first of all, when it comes to believing in something, I like to think of myself, and I'm sure you think of yourselves in this way too, as a committed person. That if you believe in something to be true, something to be right something to be the way that you would give yourself fully to it, that you would be unbiased in the way that you'd receive information about something, and if you know it to be right, 
that you wouldn't hold back from it. I think that's why, and the Bible talks about it, with people like Paul, who so fiercely oppose God, when they come to know who Jesus is, they all of a sudden go the completely opposite direction, and they're all in. It's because they're committed people. I believe that when it comes to your faith, when it comes to truth, like it was mentioned earlier, that we are people that are on the side of truth. You know, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is before Pilate, and Jesus says, everyone who sides on um, truth sides with me. And Pilate says, what is truth to the truth? Who is Jesus? And then he turns and he walks away. And I think that's an audacious, but also a picture of our own lives, that we would say, what is truth? Be looking truth in the face, and then turn around and look somewhere else for it. I believe that the truth of who God is is staring us in the very face and that it's right there for us to take. And so I want you to consider that as you listen. So the first point I just want to say is this. I want to talk about life and creation. I had a friend in high school. His name was Paulie, um, who was on my tennis team with me. And we had many a discussion about whatever in high school. You guys know all that with teams and things like that. One of the things he said about faith when someone asked him, I think he, asked, he said something that I think a lot of us wonder about. What do you believe in? And he said, something I can see. You know, something I can physically see. That's what I'll believe in. If I can't physically see it, then I'm not going to believe in it. But what if you could see it? What if it was staring you in the face every single day of your lives? What if Jesus and who God was was actually around you and was your entire being. It was everywhere in front of you, the work of God's hands. I think you guys can agree with me when I say that the world around us, creation, life, humanity, nature, space, time, all those things are pretty amazing and pretty complex. Amen? Amen? Is it not? It's pretty complex. In fact, the very world that we live in is something that not many people know very much about. As much as we know about the world around us, we actually don't know as much as we think. There was a recent study done on different species of animals and plants. This was a scientific project. This is secular. And it said they estimated that there's 8.7 million different species of life on land and in water. Now, that's different types of species, and so you could have one and then millions of those or however many. And so those are just categories. What the science, what the research said was that for animals, they have only discovered 14% of the species. For water, they've only discovered 9%. 91% of species that live in water, by research, have been undiscovered yet. And 86% of animals have been undiscovered yet. That's incredible to think about the vastness of the world that we live in. And as much as we know, we still don't know so much about it. Did you know that scientists agree that about 5% of the ocean is the only amount that's been discovered? That 95% of the ocean has yet to be discovered by scientists and by humanity? That's a lot of our own planet, amen? That's a lot that's yet to be discovered of the wonder. And the world is pretty marvelous already, right? And I don't need to explain to you the beauty of the world around us, the beauty of everything, and yet there's still so much more. And when you look up at the magnitude 
How many of you know that the universe is pretty big? Amen? The universe is huge. Can you put up that first slide? Many of you guys know the size of the earth in comparison to the sun. So think about this for a minute. How much, how little we know of the earth. And that's one of many planets. And there's the sun right there in the size of that. But now I want you to show, it's a picture of another star. This star is 2,000 si- 2, times size. 2,000, help me people, 2,000 times the size of the sun. How many of you feel like your world's a big deal right now? You know, like, I got important stuff going on. No, we're so small in the whole realm of everything around us. The heavens, and if you continue to look, you can do the research. I think science is a beautiful thing when used properly because it explains the beauty of what God has done. Wow, God. It's not only in its magnitude, but also in the detail around us. How many of you know that the world that we live in is very detailed? Amen? When you look at things like what makes up humanity, what makes up a person, um, go ahead and put up that quote. This is from the National Human Genome Research Institute. This is a quote from a direct article. It says that genes are composed of DNA, and it's predicted that there are over 3 billion base pairs in the human genome. Humans have approximately 10 trillion cells within them. So if you were to line up all the DNA found in one human being, it would stretch from the earth to the sun 100 times. That's in one human being, from the earth to the sun, and that distance is 99 million miles. One time. So times that by 100, and that's one person's DNA. The genetic makeup of one person that ever lived. Think about everyone in the world. Think about everyone that ever lived. And not only that, DNA is in every living thing. So now think about plants, think about animals, think about trees, think about all those things that also have DNA inside of them. It's pretty complex. Amen? I think it begs the question, not only that, I would just say this too. How can you quantify the way that life interacts with each other? How can you quantify love? How can you quantify bitterness, unforgiveness, marriage, broken hearts? All this incredible interaction in life, the complexity of it. And I think it begs the question, how did it happen? Who did this? How did we end up here right now? Romans 1.23 says that for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse, that God's divine goodness is in creation so that you would look and you would see the work of God's hands and know how glorious and how big he really is. In fact, David in Psalms 8, he writes this psalm and he says, when I consider the wonder of the heavens and the earth, and he says, who am I that you would create someone like me living in this incredibly beautiful place that wasn't by chance. I think it points to the thought that there's a divine creator. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis isn't a science book trying to prove God's existence, but rather it's a simple statement of what really happened at the beginning. In the beginning God created Time, matter, and space. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, even amongst Christian circles, there's a lot of different agreements or thoughts about how it happened. Well, what does it mean to speak the world into existence? What does it mean when the Spirit did this? 
or when God said to do this, and it was. But make no mistake, Christians all agree that God was the one that created it. Amen? From the thought of atheism, the thought comes as that everything happened by chance, whether that was from the Big Bang, whether that was from evolution, whatever it may be, that it happened by chance, it happened however it did, that everything that we see in front of us because of how it happened is random, survival of the fittest, random selection, things like that. There's no such thing as true beauty, but only just survival and the adaptation of survival. But I think that one of the things in that description that you have to take into consideration is not necessarily what has happened, but what happened at the beginning. How did this all start? If someone took, like, a book or something like that, how many of you, how many of you like to read in this room? Sorry, I should have said that more excitingly. We love reading and education, yeah. But imagine someone walking up to you and saying that, your favorite book, whatever it may be, they're like, there wasn't an author. That happened randomly. That fell out of the sky. And it's like, a rational person, faith or no faith, not even talking about Jesus, it's like, no, that didn't just happen. Obviously, an author put it together. There's no way something that complex could have just happened. The odds are way too much. But let me ask you something. If that is a rational thought about a book, how much more the complexity of human life, the world around us, which is infinite times more complex than a simple book, to say that that happened out of nothing. See, it's interesting because if someone were to say, well, you're a fool for believing that a God created the world that you can't see, I would say that it takes a lot more blind trust to believe that it happened out of nothing rather than an author based on the evidence presented. I think... Science is something that is beautiful in explaining God's design. I have a lot of respect for scientists. Maybe you think in this room, science is the opposite of faith. It is not. All right? Science is something that can beautifully explain how God created the world around us. Now, what I believe about science, like anything, if it's manipulated, say manipulate with me. <laughs> manipulate. <laughs> agenda, say agenda with me. If, it ha if it's manipulated and with an agenda to support your own opinions that are unproven, that's when it becomes corrupt. That's not just true about science. That's true of anything that declares to have the truth. How many of you know not to believe everything that's on the internet? Amen? You know, media is another thing that's great at that. I believe in honest media, but when it's not, then it becomes something corrupt. In fact, Jesus would criticize the Pharisees, who were supposed to be the truth bearers of who God was, but because of their own selfishness and their own greed, they taught something that wasn't the truth. And Jesus said, that is wrong. And you are keeping people from knowing the truth of who Jesus is by your own corruptness and your own agenda. I believe that science truly used as something that's beautiful to explain even more of God's goodness. And ultimately... It's something that explains the very creation around us. In fact, one interesting thing about science, it says that scientists believe that we're living in the perfect, livable circumstances. We live in perfect human living circumstances. Discover Magazine, maybe you guys have heard of this, is a science um, subscription. It says 
In 2016, the odds of an Earth-like planet happening randomly is 1 in 700 quintillion. All right, sounds like a made-up word. Quintillion, you know? 18 zeros. That's the odds of a planet and life happening like this. Those are low odds. That's not a Christian bias. That's a secular scientific magazine saying that. So it causes me to sit back and think about this. It can be disturbing to many scientists to figure out how this all happened. We're living in this world. But I I would say it comes down to these two options. Either you're the result of theories that no one can fully prove or make sense of, and even if you could, it doesn't explain the massive odds of it happening perfectly by chance. Or the second option. God created us. God spoke the world into existence is what it says. It says God has the ability to create life, to create something out of nothing, and to breathe life into what was dead. Believe that God holds the world in balance as the Bible testifies. When you look at the evidence, that allows me to make a decision to choose to put my faith in God nationally. But that's my decision. So what's your decision? I want to ask you that. That's my choice, and that's my faith, but you have to make a choice. The other thing I would just want to talk with you guys about, I believe that creation is a huge, huge thing that testifies to who God is, but you know what else is? Death is. At some point in our lives, whether when we're little or when we come into our teenage years, we come to the reality that we're not going to live forever. We realize that this life is temporary That the life that we're living right now is not going to go on forever. Amen? And we have to come to the reality of that. And that brings up some honest questions that everyone should ask. I think every human asks, what happens after this? Where do I go? Does anything happen to me? What happens to my family and friends? Will I ever see them again? And you begin to ask these questions and begin to understand that there's so much more to this life than what appears to be. In fact... In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has put eternity on the hearts of men. That he put it in us to be able to understand and to ponder beyond this life and to go, I think there's more. I think there's something wrong with how this is. And I think God has, I think there's just more than this life in particular. I want more than this life. Where does that come from? It's something God has put on our hearts. And when you read through the Bible, you read of a God who not only just skims on what happens in the afterlife, but you have a God who's completely missioned at our afterlife and at our eternity. You have a God who would be willing to step down from heaven to earth. That's why we celebrate Christmas, is that he would be willing to step out of heaven and to die for us For our eternity after this life. Think about that for a minute. Many of you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And it says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I want you to just see that. That whoever, say that word with me, believes in him. That is the difference between death and life. That is the difference between eternal separation with God And completely joined with him at home with the Lord is believing in him. And you see, you can see evidence of that. I think one of the things about being a pastor and 
being friends with other friends with other pastors is that one of the things is that we get the opportunity to be with people in their best moments, but also in their darkest moments. Memorial services, funerals, things like that, being with people as they pass away is a pretty normal thing for pastors over time. Randy, um, Pastor Randy, as many of you guys know, our senior pastor, he shared with me a couple stories, and I wanted to share with you two of them that I thought were pretty impactful and pretty sum- summarized just the power of eternity and death. Um, And not to say these are the only two stories. There is a vast amount of stories, and there is a vast amount of literature in the Christian section at Barnes & Noble. Amen. It's like heaven, 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 if you've ever been there. So, sorry. Um, But he was telling me the story of one time where a 60-year-old woman who believed in the Lord with all of her heart, believed in Jesus, gave her life to the Lord, she was dying. And she actually fell into a coma. And so... He was helping the family through everything, and during her kind of last few days, they were all just sitting around her bed, just waiting for her to pass. And she's completely unconscious, you know, no signs whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, while they're all just sitting there, she just sits up out of bed, and she just looks at the daughter, and she goes, can you hear it? Can you hear the singing? The singing is so beautiful. She just lays down, passes away right there, goes home with the Lord. Now, there's another story that Randy shared with me that I thought was equally as humbling. So there was someone in the church who was a businessman who had been extremely hostile against Christianity, didn't want anything to do with Jesus, was really hostile against the mom and against the entire family. In fact, it was a really hard thing for them. But as he got sick, he found himself in a similar place where he was losing function of himself. And they asked Randy to go and talk to him and try and convince him to give his life to Christ. Don't die before. And the man completely denied him, kicked him out of the room, didn't want anything to do with him, asked him to leave. Didn't go well. And so days later, the family tells Randy the story of how he passed, that they were also sitting in the room. He's unconscious, and he's completely out of it by this point. It's coming. And he just leans up, and he opens his eyes, and the wife describes there's this look of sheer terror that goes across his face, and then he just fell back, and he passed away. What do you do with that? How do you handle stories like that? Those are things that you can't ignore. There are plenty of more stories like that if you're interested, but I think that summarizes the the truth that we have to do something about that. But ultimately, when you look at God's word and you look at the truth of who Jesus is, that this is something that God literally went to the cross and died for us and rose again so that we could have eternal life and not be afraid of death. That is not something as a coping mechanism. That is not fraudulent statements. That is hope. That's what hope is. It's I know that when I die... I'm going to go to heaven because I put my faith in Christ. He's the one who overcame death. He's the bridge. He's the one who's going to get me in home with the Lord because I trusted him and I followed him. That's something that's so important to understand. And I think as well, too, when you talk about the the death and the resurrection, that the death signified forgiveness, but the resurrection was proof that the eternal life was for us. It says when Jesus rose from the dead, that was the first fruits, which means... 
that was the first of what's to come for all of us that trust in him, that will also be resurrected, that will also have a body with him, that will also no longer be in the shadow and under captive of death in the same way. I think what's interesting, too, about the Bible is that when you read about the resurrection and you read about the cross, that the Bible is not only God's story and it's the truth of God's word. It's a historically accurate portrayal of what really happened. I want you to understand that, too. And think about the way that it testifies to it. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was put in a grave. Now, the Pharisees, knowing full well that Jesus said, I'm going to rise again in three days, put the Roman guards around the tomb. Now, think about this for a minute. The people who opposed and killed Jesus did not want any, any way that he could rise from the dead. So they asked the most powerful army, nation in the world with the strongest army to guard the tomb. Think about that for a minute. And yet Jesus still broke through, scared them, they fainted and everything. But I want you to think about this for a minute too and look at the other side of it. If Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, you want to know what would have happened in that culture in that day? The Pharisees would have went to the tomb, opened it up, taken his body, and walked through Jerusalem, the place where he was crucified, and said, look at your king. He didn't raise from the dead. That's what would have happened. But you know what? It didn't. He did raise from the grave. His tomb is still there to this day. People from all over the world visit it. It explains so much of who he is that I would even go as far as to say that when you know that it's true, that you have to take everything into consideration as well. There's an interesting story about a man named Lee Strobel. Can you put up that picture? Thanks. He's on the right. Now, this man was made the chief investigative reporter and editor of the Chicago Tribune in the 1980s. Now, the Chicago Tribune is like one of the top papers in the world, and media at that time was all about the papers. And so this guy is one of the top investigative people in the entire world at this point. But while this was happening, his wife came to know Jesus. Lee was an atheist. He was stoutly against who God was. And because he was annoyed by his wife, he decided, I know what I can do to solve this weird Christianity thing that's going on. I'm going to prove that God is not real with my investigative reporting. So you have a man who's one of the greatest investigative reporters in the entire world going out to prove that the cross and the resurrection wasn't real. So he goes out and he begins his reporting. And you want to know what happens? He doesn't find any proof. In fact, what he finds is that the proof says historically and accurately that he did, in fact, die and raise again. And through his journey, he encountered Jesus, born-again believer, came to know him, gave his life to him. Incredible testimony. In fact, many of you guys know a book that he wrote called The Case for Christ about it. And I just want you guys to think for a minute. I'm not a big investigative guy, but if one of the top investigative reporters honestly investigated the resurrection and said that Jesus is real and I'm going to put my life in him, how much more should we? Amen? How much more would that testify to the realness of God's and the accuracy of it? But now I want to ask you something this, because if you, you acknowledge it's true, yes, but there's so much more to it because in the same way, I believe that commitment is the thing. If you know this to be true, 
then you got to choose it. That's my decision. What's your decision? Paul would talk about this, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to read about the resurrection, read 1 Corinthians 15. And he actually talks about it in an interesting way. He says, he looks at it from the opposite side. He says, if the resurrection isn't real, if it's not real, if it's fake, it didn't happen, then everything we're doing is useless, and you should go and live your life however you want. Don't go to school. Don't listen to anyone. Do whatever you want. Live however you want. Indulge yourself in anything that you want. Because this life is for nothing, is what he says. He says, this life is all you have, so why even follow any moral code? And he says, but we know that the resurrection is real. So how much more the other way would we follow Jesus with all of our heart, knowing that it was real and knowing what was in store for those who are faithful and follow him and live in relationship with Jesus? How much more? What are you going to choose? I'm excited to share with you guys even more next week, but I'm, right now I'm going to invite Yasmari up, and she's going to lead us in a couple just response questions. I'm going to invite Israel and the worship team too back up. Um, But I'm just going to ask that you guys put away phones, put away Bibles, notes and things like that. And also, can we just welcome Ms. Mario as she comes up? Thank you. Um, Honestly, what a powerful message and what a powerful thing to know that we're so loved and wanted by the Lord and so specifically and intentionally made. And just in light of Jeff's message, we're going to have a moment of just response time. And we're going to have two questions that we're going to discuss. So the first one will be, they'll be up on the board in a little bit. But the first one will be, why do you choose to believe in Jesus? I think it's so important to know in our hearts why we believe what we believe. And it's not just because someone told us to. It's not just because we're here, like, listening to it. But what do you believe in your own heart? So that's the first question. And then the second question would be, what are your biggest questions um, that either keep you from growing in your faith or just from, like, coming to faith in general? Um, So I would love for you guys to just take a moment and grab, like, two or three people around you and just discuss those two questions for a 